Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Sanaz. And this is our podcast, Nobody Asked Us, where two friends discuss their completely unsolicited opinions. In this episode, we're going to be talking about modern couplehood and the expectations that we have around what kind of what kind of relationships we're supposed to be in, how those ideas are changing, how maybe some of the ideas from the past don't serve us quite as well. And the the inspiration for this episode was a, I think, very amusing uh, observation of Sanaz's uh, <laughs> from her time working, doing an internship at Ikea in college. So Sanaz, if you want to... <laughs> You want to give us a little backstory on that? This is usually one of my fun facts to share. Um, so we went to Rice together, as you know, Rachel. And mm-hmm. after our sophomore year, I had an internship with IKEA. It was and it was a really fun summer. I was in charge of a pricing project because they do like big summer sales. So I was studying kind of an understanding, you know, if they were to change the prices at the store, what would that do based on demand and what we think we could sell? So it's really fun. I spent a lot of time in different departments and I really learned a lot. I'm also just a fan of Ikea and interior design. So it was just a fun thing to do. Um, But the best part of the summer was they would actually have me come in sometimes, um, usually on the weekends in normal clothes because the people at Ikea have a uniform and I'd have on normal clothes. So like incognito. Incognito, exactly. I was a civilian. Um, And I would walk around and effectively spy on people. (laughs) As in, they wanted me to just kind of observe um, the flow of the IKEA stores. You know, it's like a big maze. And they do a lot of, you know, kind of setups and furniture areas. And they just want to understand, like, are people stopping and looking at the product? Is there, you know, is, is one area being ignored? So effectively, they wanted me to make heat maps and tell them where people were spending their time and what they needed to change about those configurations. So that was my job description, which I did. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. the kind of, I would say, secondhand effect of it was I spent a lot of time observing people in Ikea. And in particular, I would say couples and families making decisions about furniture. And more often than not, there were lots of arguments there was a lot of like, I call it like bullshit diplomacy where like you're pretending to be respectful of each other, but you're yeah. not like giving in. <laughs> yeah. Fair. And, you know, Ikea is a big store. Furniture shopping isn't the thing for everyone. There's a lot of decisions to be made. And most often than not, like somewhere around like the coffee table area is where the breakdown would happen. And you see this couple just sitting looking haggard and tired and trying to like argue with each other and come to terms and agree on a piece of furniture together. And I just was like, guys, it's not going to happen. Like, give it up. Like you'll leave here with something that you both don't hate, but no one's going to be happy. So it just made me think of this larger theme about Ikea couples and (laughs) the goal of like, you know, like trying to be on the same page about everything. And it's just not going to work. And often than not, I just wanted to go up to them and whisper, like, guys, don't worry about it. Just let one of you make the decision and just get out of here. <laughs> like, yeah, you're like, not, like, you're not going to get all the same. Just day. admit that one of you has better taste. You're not going to see eye to eye. So um, it was very funny to me to watch that. And then now as an adult, every time I go in, I can't help but kind of observe the people around me and how they're making shopping decisions. And 
I keep seeing it all the time. It is a really, really funny thing. So I've joked that I want to have like, I want to create a coffee table book about like the couples of Ikea. The and sad, the sad, it's like a, oh, it's almost like, um, you know, like Kramer and Seinfeld where he has like the coffee table book about coffee tables. Yeah. This is a coffee table book about people getting upset about coffee tables. It's like another <laughs> exactly. level of meta. Exactly. So, cause I just walk around and you know this, I like, you know, shadily take photos of people and send them to you and like. Oh, they're so funny. So I like, I, I like the idea of the broader theme in here where it's like very unrealistic to expect like complete harmony with another person. But I do have one thing to like go back to before we discuss that broader theme, which yeah. is like, why do you think, why do you think it was around the coffee tables and not around like, I don't know, shelves, like kitchen tables? Oh, I think, I think part of it is just the flow of Ikea. So like first people usually decide on the couch and maybe, like they see the different um, setups, if you will, and they get inspiration and they're like, oh, let's get this couch and this rug or whatever. But a lot of times a coffee table is the last purchase and it's the thing that needs to bring the room together. And so you might've made a lot of despair choices and now you can't find the coffee table to bring it all together. Um, Interesting. It's a common problem even for like interior designers because people get excited about, you know, the texture of a couch or um, the color of a rug or something. Like that's what excites them that they pick. But then now you need the coffee table to function with it. Very few people design a room around a coffee table, right? So it comes down to like, now we need this last piece to fall into place and we just can't. So do we take out your rug or my ottoman? You know what I mean? Like, where do we go from yeah. here? So I, I think that's why it was, or just maybe like after a couple decisions, like you're exhausted. So maybe if coffee tables were first, <laughs> people wouldn't, they'd fall apart in dining or something. But yeah, because it seems like, it seems like one of like the more benign pieces of furniture that you could have yeah. like a couch. Like I could see like, but if because like the couches are like first in the store. Yeah, yeah. You don't have that decision I, fatigue. Well, I will say I definitely saw some heated arguments around the couch because I think there's more passion and opinion around that. Yeah. But I saw the fatigue and the lack of cooperation um, around the coffee table. So again, these are anecdotal, but I did spend some time being a spy. I do love that story. Um so do you have a broader, okay, so what is your broader theme around, like, what's, what does this mean? What is this saying? I think the broader understanding that I have is that we expect to be on the same page with people, and it's just not realistic. Like, very rarely are you ever going to like so many of the same things as another person, whether you're in a relationship with them or not. Like, there's just too much diversity. There's too many divergent right. opinions. So why are we trying to seek this like perfect nirvana of like cooperative <laughs> agreement. Well, you know, like, I mean, I think, I think, so um, there, there's the, I mean, there's the idea that, you know, like relationships are constant communication. And yeah. I always, I've always gotten annoyed when people are like relationships are quote unquote hard work because to yeah. me like hard work is like, I don't know, bricklaying, you know, yeah. like, I don't even consider like, yeah, whatever, whatever I do, like writing to be like hard work. Like, right. But I'm also like, it shouldn't be like hard work implies that it's misery. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this many disagreements to get through every day. Like, ugh. yeah, this, you know what this actually reminds me of is um, the most recent season of the white Lotus. Did you watch it? 
I I just finished season two. Oh, um, thank God. Okay, because it's so good. We got to talk about it. Sorry, there's four people. There's two young couples. One mm-hmm. has this like veneer of like we are perfect and in love, and they say we never fight. Like, cause yeah, what fight? is there to fight about? <laughs> and then this other couple is very like we're we're ultra honest with each other, but they have this kind of like um they're like and we tell each other everything, and we but they have this they're in this kind of like passionless like functional relationship and then throughout the season you kind of see where like that like there's like a lie to both of those exactly yeah and so I think I thought that was a really interesting representation of kind of the expectations and realities and like where those kind of uh merge and give the lie to one another in how what modern couplehood is supposed to be like yeah, yeah. And also, one other thing I noticed was the couple that was kind of like, we're real, we share everything. Even the way that they talked mm-hmm. shit about the other couple, it gave you a sense of like, they think they're so aligned and look at us like perfectly aligned in our opinion and look at these other people that are not like us. Like, even in the way they talk about other people behind their back, there was a sense of like, we're so in tune, right? Like we're so right about everything. I don't know. It was, it was, it was really fascinating. But there was, but there was like off. jealousy, though, right? There mm-hmm. was like a little bit of like you, you could tell in like the like in the comparison, there was jealousy because that is such the ideal. Because like fighting and like some like fighting is stigmatized, and this idea of like perfect passionate romance is idealized in a way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Another. Um, Actually, like, did you have anything more on White Lotus? I was gonna. Oh yeah. Well, um, go ahead. I don't know. I just thought it was a really inter- interesting, like juxtaposition, a juxtaposition, and like, kind of like, uh, in the end, they both. I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but like, they go through a lot of iterations of it. But when you when while you're watching it, you see like this. There's a couple that has like they appear perfect, but there's like some infidelity. And, but they actually seem to really love each other. Mm-hmm. And it kind of begs that question too, from like the, I think for people who take a hyper-realistic, like like a relationship is like a pragmatic partnership view. It's like, I don't know, these people are willing to like overlook some flaws because they really love each other. And is that right. happiness worth like a little bit of... Uh, dishonesty i don't know it's 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 all gray area and it's just yeah. wonderful but like I, which it, package would you rather have right between i the mean two? like ideally like something of like both like I don't, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in the middle yeah 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 no they were they were such well-written characters i just remember like from the beginning when you first introduced to them and all throughout, like my opinion of them changed. You learned so many new things. It, it was really well done. I, I was such a fan of that storyline. It was really well done. And it, it, and it definitely, they, none of it was cartoonish, but it definitely showed like two sides of what modern couplehood is pressured to be. Yeah. Um, I was recently listening to, a podcast betwixt the sheets so it's actually about like (laughs) sex and love and stuff like that but it's from like a very like cheeky intellectual perspective it's british i love it i highly recommend it uh but they were talking about like the idea of like a love partnership Uh and so you know it's fairly well known that like marriage for like the longest time was seen as like 
you know, an economic, we pass on wealth, we make family alliances, all kinds of things. Like we help each other out. And like, but like people have always been in love too, but that, that hasn't necessarily been the part, like part of marriage. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, people would have affairs and, you know, more frequently it was like condoned for men to have mistresses. So like love has always been around too, but like the merging of partnership and passion or like romantic Mm -hmm. love is something that's fairly new. It's in like the last like 150 years or so that we've been, that that's even been like a cultural ideal and definitely like coming into like like the latter half of the 20th century and, and, and like now, like that is, the ideal, right? Like you're supposed to, uh, you know, this is supposed to be a person that like, you really, uh, you know, you, you have, you are attracted to them, mm-hmm. you know, you have affection for them. Uh, you have like a good sex life, but also like, you know, you, you're aligned in like your political ideas, you're aligned in like your morality, or whatever, like you, yeah. you get your along great. Friend, your best your friend. friend. Yeah, they, you 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 do everything with them. There's been a lot written about more recently, like reconsidering that. Um, some of them in ways that, like, I don't necessarily, I think, are a little bit. How do I put this? I think a lot of people are advocating for things that aren't necessarily healthy as alternatives to that. Mm-hmm. But um, people are reconsidering the idea that, like, this perfect relationship can and should exist for everybody. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, what you relied on a village for before, we rely on one person. Yes. Like, is that realistic? No. And to your point, how do you replace it? Like, you know, maybe also unrealistic suggestions, mm-hmm. but like, you're probably not going to get what you got from 15 different friends and family members in the past from one person. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, I, you know, and I'm not going to call anybody out on this because I, 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 these are people who yeah. I, love as friends but I have noticed the difference in even friends who go from being in like a like long-term like whatever partner boyfriend girlfriend relationship once they get married all of a sudden it's like now we must we must play this role we must do this thing we like we we like I, I used to go on vacations with some of these friends and like nope now vacations are for the always the spouse everywhere everywhere like i invite the friend the spouse comes i'm like like you know whatever but like i don't like <laughs> that's not my friend you're my friend <laughs> exactly. exactly and like i don't mind but and then the idea that i don't know i think you and i have talked about this a lot too there's a lot of socializing and like social normalization that's done around couplehood so mm-hmm. like people will do things as like Oh, we'll invite this couple and this couple, and it's like, well, your single friend is still your, your single friend is still your friend. Like, yeah. um, yeah. it's wow. just That's- a little bit weird the way we structure so much around that construct that everybody kind of knows is like n- like imperfect. Right, right, and it it's interesting because, like you said, it's it's a pretty new phenomenon. But we've sort of pivoted around it as if this has been the norm forever. You know what I mean? Like even right. the concept of a nuclear family is something that was that yes. honestly worked in a very short, you know, span of time um, in history when you compare all the years before and after, right? But 
we just sort of anchor to those ideals and that's what you see in movies and books and everything, even though that's not, it's, it's historically, you know, insignificant, right? It's well, the anomaly. Yeah. I mean, when you think about the difficulties that people talk about, about like raising children and like, you know, like being able to like, I don't know, not even like childcare, like mm -hmm. balancing that with career or like being able to have time for yourself. It like, if you have, like a large extended family or like community network around you. That's definitely, like, you know, you just yeah. hand the baby off to the neighbor or grandma yeah. or like your niece for like or an hour or two. Or your house, right? Because people or, used to live or in nephew. generational homes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was always somebody around. But I think Esther Perel does a really good job of talking about this. And she's had some TED Talks that have really um, become popular of just like, you know, like you said, we used to go to our sister for this and our uncle for that, yeah. our neighbor for this. And now it's all expected of one person. And conversely, imagine if one person puts all that expectation on you. Like, that's so hard to yes. deal with, right? Like, if yes. I expected to be your everything, like, whoa, let's chill out. You know, like, I think it goes both ways. But she, I think she really talks about it in an elegant way of the changes overall. And just that, it's not just that we expect everything, like the things we expect are contradictory too. you know, she's like, give me stability, but give me spontaneity, right? It's like, well, mm -hmm. that's kind of hard to ask one person, <laughs> you're asking for a lot of conflicting things. Right, right. Or just, yeah, yeah, yeah. give me, I don't know, intellectual stimulation, but then also just like agree with everything that right. I say. Like, <laughs> Challenge okay. me, but be cooperative. Because yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely had issues in my own personal relationships with that. Like, you know, the idea that, like, do we agree, like, do we agree on things politically? And, like, is that even that important? And I think, you know, to an extent, it can be. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. yeah, no, the idea that, like, this one person is going to, like, have all of the same ideas as you is just, I mean, it's silly. It's silly also, especially given that uh, nowadays we're coming into relationships mostly or like lasting relationships as adults, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think about this is this is maybe like a, a peeve or a something of mine, but like how many of our rituals and traditions around partnerships and weddings are rooted in a context in which you like marriage and whatever partnership was the marker between adulthood and childhood. So, you know, it would, yeah. you would be 16 to 18 and you would, this was like your grown up life. And like one of the more obvious things about that is like, you know, the dad walking the daughter down the aisle and giving yeah. her to the guy. It's like, no, I mean, that's the most like patriarchal one, but also transfer of ownership, <laughs> transfer of ownership, which like, ew. But also, yeah. like, changing, like, the, expe the expectation that so many women now adhere to. And look, I'm not criticizing anybody who chooses to do that. But it is, mm -hmm. there are a lot of, I have personally encountered a lot of men, uh, romantically or otherwise, who expect that. And, like, they, like, want this. Like, I'm like, do you even know what you're asking out of this person? Like that is their name. And you're like expecting a woman to like change her identity for you when I think a lot of, it's still a lot of people find the idea preposterous that a, ma a man yeah. would ever do that in return. And, and, and a lot of people have, you know, come up with like alternative 
solutions, like either like creating a new last name or right, whatever. Right. But that's it's such a weird tradition. Like it's such a weird thing when like you're an adult, you have a career, people know you in the world, you have all these friends, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh no, my name is different. Right, right. <laughs> like that's so weird. Day, yeah, you were a child or you were whatever, 18, 19 yeah. years old and you changed, that's one thing, but to do it later Yeah, like life, that's your baby name and this is your grown-up name. Right. Like, Well, there is a cultural context to this too because in Iran, like where my family's from, women don't change their names. I mean, that's- yeah. Like the Spanish, that, like the Spanish thing where you keep like well, every single yeah, last name. They hyphenate, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. your kids would have the husband's name for sure, but- I've just never, one thing I've heard from my American friends is, well, I would never want to have a different last name for my kids. And that's just something that no Iranian woman has ever said to me. So like, it's just normal. Okay, but side point on that, like, mm -hmm. I've always found it to be a grave injustice that as a woman, I mean, you are doing the brunt of the labor for that kid. I mean, you are making that kid in your stomach, you are painfully extracting it from your body, like, and then all of a sudden, you have to give it the dude's name. <laughs> And there's actually okay, so I've read yeah. a few. Th I've read a few theories about this, yeah. and it's apparently because one theory is is that it's their baby, and like I mean, I think that that actually that theory goes a long way towards explaining like oppression of women, like male jealousy, like putting women, like shunting women away, keeping them out of public life because like they really want to know if the kid is theirs. <laughs> right. But like, apparently, one of the uh, you know this is again like just the theory, but it does kind of check out to me. Um, one of the theories is that like giving the child the man's name makes it more likely that the man will take care of the child. Right. Financially. Right. Can I give yeah. one more thing that I think is really like a relic of like the old type of relationship or like is Go on. we give people household goods for their <laughs> weddings? <laughs> like I've been to your apartment. I know you have plates. I'm not buying you plates. Like- <laughs> I know you have a nice crock pot. I'm not buying you another crock pot. Like, yeah, I'm not for a woman. That was her assets, right? Like right. that, that was her job <laughs> her position, you know, it was related. To, I mean, it was an investment in her job, quite frankly. Right. Fair enough. These days it's like, you have a toaster, he has a toaster yeah. and you just registered for a third toaster. Like, I yeah. don't understand what's happening right now. Like, why yeah. do you need three toasters? Yeah. Like, you I know when like you need a registry, you know, when we do need a registry is breakups. Yes. That's when you need a toaster. Yes. We shouldn't yes. have marriage registries anymore because everyone's got their own shit. We should have divorce registries. No, it's so true. I, um, without giving too much information away, I know somebody who went through like a, a live-in relationship breakup and he had to buy like, like, oh, I have, yeah, I don't have a toaster. I don't have yeah. a couch. I don't mm -hmm. have a bed. And it's like, Yeah breakup registries that's a great idea i don't think registries should be related to whether or not you get married i think everyone should just get one registry in their lifetime you can use it up whenever you want oh like, i like you that don't get married you can still be like guys this is the time in my investment i just bought a house this is when i would really like some all clad pots and pans <laughs> right but or yeah. i just got divorced but you get to cash it in once and if you get married twice, I'm not buying you a second toaster. Like you get one per life and everybody gets one. That's, Ooh. that's how I think it would be fair. Oh yeah. So I guess the idea of like companionship and couplehood is such a like fuzzy area. And I've just really, I've really wanted to have this, have this conversation about like sorting that out because there's like, there's no right answer. Right. But there's not great solutions either 
exactly. Like if it's not this, then what would work for us? So yeah, we shall see. Let's we shall see. What's your what's your do you have like what's your ideal? Do you have an ideal? Oh boy. Um, I mean, I've joked that my ideal man is you know a well-adjusted orphan, so I don't have to split holidays or time with my family. But <laughs> that's a more specific no, detail. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I love that. <laughs> so, well, because you have such a big, close family, it's like, yeah, I'm like, my birthday's on Christmas. I don't. Again, <laughs> going back to the IKEA deliberations, I don't want to compromise on the holidays. Yeah, 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 it's my way or the highway with this coffee table. Damn it. Um, no, I'm kidding. I I don't know. I don't know if there's so much of like an ideal for me. I think it's just more that coming from a big family and having such a large extended family, I'm always, um, I don't think that whole like nuclear family all the time works for me. Cause I just was never raised like that. So. so you were raised, curious. you were raised with more of like the village. Exactly. I was definitely raised with the village and the idea of like, it's just these few people and that's it. And I I've always kind of rebelled against that. And there's a really good article in the Atlantic about the nuclear family and effectively it's it's something that only worked socially and economically from about 1915 to 1965 mm. in like certain economic levels in the u.s right and, you can't like and, not poor people like exactly poor people couldn't do it before that we lived in multi-generational homes today we live in much more non-traditional homes and you know care and everything and so the idea was like if it only worked for 15 years for some people why is that sort of the standard, you know, in mm -hmm. movies, books, cultural expectations? And so I've always challenged that, not because I was like raised by a single grandmother, but because I always had so many people around that I was like, why is it just this nuclear fit? There's got to be other people in the right. village broader. So that's always been my my big thing. Yeah. Especially in the US. Yeah. No, and yeah, that's that's cool that you've been able to view it like that and had that experience. Um, yeah. 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 Exactly. So yeah. Anyway, well, that's all the time we have. Um, Rachel, what would be your recommendation for this week? My recommendation for this week? Oh, okay. So uh, this is a bit of a throwback, but <laughs> like going also to the Ikea couples. Uh, theme, Go on. The movie 500 Days of Summer, which is like a really brilliant twist on romantic comedies and kind of like See, or like like the romantic ideal uh it's a pretty well-known movie but like the the male protagonist falls in love with this woman because she likes all the same things that he does and she tells him that she's really not that interested in like having a relationship he gets completely heartbroken and it's seen from like both their perspectives where it's like she seems like the bad guy but like also he's like really not listening to her i like yeah. these kind of like multi-perspective views on romance it's really interesting um it's kind of a heartbreaking movie but also very cute but there's a great scene where they are in ikea uh and they're like pretending like they're like this adorable couple like oh honey like what should we get for the boudoir or whatever and he's taking it very seriously and she's just screwing with him i mean she's kind of a jerk to him but she's open about it anyway I think it touches on like a lot of the like miscommunications and dynamics with like, especially like young adult dating. 
uh, that goes on. So, uh, yeah. and it, 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 and, and it's, it is a good watch. It's like heartbreaking in times, but it's a good watch. So yeah. 500 days of summer. Nice. What about you? So my recommendation would be a mini series called Scenes from a Marriage. Um, this is actually a remake of the original 1973 Swedish miniseries. It's by the same name and it's by famous director Ingmar Bergman. Um, so in the original one, it's a married couple and it's the husband that is leaving the wife. And it's just basically like how their marriage is dissolving and changing. And in the modern take, it's with Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac and things kind of flip the other way around. Um, it's an HBO miniseries and it really feels like a play. Uh, it's really primarily those two actors, but I just felt that the dialogue and the interaction and dynamic between them just reminded me so much of these kind of new themes that we've been talking about that like desire to be perfectly on the same page as someone and uber respectful of all their opinions and all that. It was just really interesting because I watched it with my mother who's like obviously from another country, another generation. She's like, is this how you guys talk to each other? This like <laughs> fake sense of respect. And I was like, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. <laughs> oh, that's so, so funny. But it's so well done. I mean, I I'm a I'm a sucker for plays and just even movies or things on TV that feel like a play. Um, and it mm -hmm. just I was so captivated by it. I actually went back and watched the original one as well, the Swedish version. So I can't recommend it enough. It's incredible, incredible acting. Um, so yeah, so check that out on HBO. Great. Oh, also like both like kind of like Swedish theme, right? IKEA and <laughs> I know. Good call. But look at us tying things together. <laughs> you know what? At, at some point we have to we have to recommend our favorite show for something. We'll find a way. We'll find a way. And you know, one day we'll have like a sponsorship from Volvo to wrap yeah. it all together. But <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. still early stages in our yeah, fandom. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for. Thanks, guys. Join us all right. Next see time. you. See you next time. Bye. Bye.